You may be seated. In light of the fact that there are newcomers with us who haven't been here in previous messages, I want to remind us of our sermon series where we're looking at the Christian life uh, from Scripture, but through the perspective of John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. And last week and, and this week and next week, we'll be looking at a question that distills from Bunyan's or Christian's journey in Pilgrim's Progress, and it's this question, what, what do Christians experience, or what, what do sinners, rather, experience at the cross and the sepulcher? Last week, we looked at the first shining one coming to Christian as he had finally made it there to the foot of the cross, and then just below the foot of the cross was, was a sepulcher, a grave, an empty tomb. And the first shining one came to him and said, Thy sins are forgiven. And he was able to say that because, as we studied last week, Jesus Christ has made atonement for our sin, that he went to the cross and he endured the grave and he rose again on our behalf that we might be forgiven. And today we'll look at the declaration or proclamation that was made by the second shining one that comes to Christian as he's there at the cross and the sepulcher. And this is what the second shining one says to him. He, he took, or does and says, he, he took Christian's rags off of him, and then he placed a new suit of clothes on Christian. And so we'll be looking today at this great exchange that has taken place and that takes place in the life of every person that comes to the cross truly repenting of sin and believing upon Christ. A great exchange takes place. Now take your hymnal and turn to page 871. And at the bottom of page 871, second column, you'll see a question that's part of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is part of our doctrinal confessional standard of our church. Today we'll be looking at the doctrine of justification, especially the imputed righteousness of Christ. And so question 33 asks the question, what is justification? And this is one of the best and concise definitions of justification that I've come across. It's in our own confessional standard. Justification is an act of God's free grace wherein he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness imputed to us and received by faith alone the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and we and today we'll be looking at this doctrine and I want you to have this definition in mind you can even keep your hymnal open as well as your Bible as we are working uh, through this incredible great exchange that takes place in the life of every sinner at the cross and at the sepulcher and we'll be looking at four things on page five of your bulletin. It's a sermon outline. The act of justifying, the great exchange itself, the sole instrument of justification, and then the necessity of an imputed righteousness in order to be justified. So as we begin this message, Let's uh, do so in prayer. Father, thank you for this incredible doctrine that is so 
precious to every believer. And I pray today, O oh Lord, that you would work in us mightily, work in our hearts, and bring us to see just the marvel and wonder of this great exchange and how it impacts and should impact how we live today. So bless us, enable me to be faithful, enable us to be faithful hearers of your word today. In Christ's name, amen. I do not love God, I hate him. Those are honest words of an Augustinian monk who was greatly troubled over this question. How can sinful man ever be acceptable before holy God? This particular man's solution was to work as hard as he can possibly work in trying to be acceptable before God. That is to make himself righteous before God. The historian Bruce Shelley says of this Augustinian monk, who many of you have already figured out is the great reformer Martin Luther. Shelley says this about Luther. No amount of penance, no soothing advice from his superiors could still Luther's conviction that he was a miserable, doomed sinner. That was Martin Luther's assessment. And so it's no wonder that he would come to this place of saying, I don't love you, God, I hate you. Because the harder he tried, the more he viewed himself as condemned before God. And so this is the perplexing question that not, not only troubled Luther, but I think troubles every human being, though they may not even recognize it. How can I be accepted before holy God? And the good news is that God deals with this need. God answers that question profoundly. And the first point I want to make in light of justification is God acts. God acts unilaterally. God acts alone as the justifier of the unjust. Romans 8, 30 and also verse 33, and those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he, God, justified, he also glorified. Then verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And this act of God justifying is by his free grace. I mean, what do we deserve? We deserve condemnation and God's wrath. And so justification must be by God's free grace. Romans 3, 23 and 25. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Titus 3 and verse 7. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And our catechism question, question 33, 
speaks of justification being an act of God. God is the justifier, but also that he justifies by or through or because of his free grace. Uh, the great Bible scholar J.I. Packer wrote this, justification is a forensic idea conceived in terms of law and viewing God as judge. In justification, God, de God declares of penitent believers that they are not and never will be liable to the death that their sins deserve because Christ, their substitute and sacrifice, tasted death in their place on the cross. And this first point is this, is that God met that need that Luther had. God has met that need that I have. God has met that need that you have. We will stand before him. Right. Why? He has acted by his free grace as the justifier of the unjust. Hey, praise God. You can say that if you mean it. If you don't mean it, don't say it. Let's get excited. Not too much. Let's get excited about it. I don't want us to turn into a holy roller church in an unrestrained way. We are Presbyterians. The hands can only go this high, okay? If it's, a, if it's below the waist, you're okay. God meets our need. God deals with this perplexing problem that every human being has. And secondly, how does he do this? Is this great exchange that takes place, this transaction that I, that I introduced uh, Easter Sunday morning, that the grounds of God being the justifier of the unjust is this great exchange where, where our sin is taken and placed on Christ and his righteousness is taken and placed on us. The Bible shows this. Isaiah 53 and verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Make many to be accounted righteousness, to bear my righteousness, because I have taken their iniquity. You see the exchange there? 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake, he made him to, to be sin who knew no sin, atonement, full pardon, Christ taking our sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, the imputed righteousness of Christ placed upon the, the believer. And so Bunyan describes this great exchange that takes place by utilizing this, this second shining one that comes to Christian there at the cross where Christian experiences his rags being stripped of him and then being clothed with change of raiment, a new pure garment. And the passage that Jim read from Zechariah beautifully shows this in chapter 3, verses 3 through 4. Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy rags. Get the picture? Think of you standing 
with, uh, with a, ro a white robe on that is just covered with muck and mire and filth and stained and ripped, just rags. That's every one of us standing before God by nature as we are in and of ourselves. Then verse 4, And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garment from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away, and I will clothe you with pure raiment. That old, dirty, filthy, sin-stained garment is removed, and a new, pure, white garment is adorned. Joshua, and you and me, if we are in Christ Jesus. So let's, let, let, let's just restate what we read in Zechariah chapter 3 and make it personal. When I say me and mine, you think of you and yours, okay? In the atonement, my sin, my filthy rags, have been removed from me and placed on Christ he took that which was alien to him, my sin, and he bore it on the cross, paid for the debt of it in full, that I might have a full pardon, atonement. And then Jesus takes his pure garment, his perfect righteousness, that which is alien to me, that which I don't deserve, and he clothes me with it, and now and forevermore, I am accepted as perfectly righteous in God's sight and in his presence, not because I am inherently righteous, but because of Christ's perfect righteousness that has been placed on me, that has, that in which I have been clothed. And it always remains Christ's perfect righteousness. Dr. R.C. Sproul, the late Dr. R.C. Sproul said this, but at the heart of the gospel is a double imputation. Christ taking my sin and Christ imputing his righteousness to me. My sin is imputed to Jesus. His righteousness is imputed to me, says Sproul. In this twofold transaction, we see that God, who does not negotiate sin, who doesn't compromise his own integrity with our salvation, but rather punishes sin fully, and really, after it has been imputed to Jesus, retains his own righteousness, and so he is both just and the justifier. So my sin goes to Jesus, his righteousness comes to me in the sight of God. That's the great exchange. That is how God meets that most basic and perplexing need of how can an unjust person stand just before holy God. And third, sinners are declared justified through an instrument, through a means, and that means is faith. 
Listen, listen to this from Philippians chapter 3 and verses 8 and 9 and see if you can pick out, turn there, and see if you can pick out faith as the sole instrument through which God declares us justified. Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And listen to this, not having a righteousness of my own. And please note this. Justification does not mean that we are clothed with Christ's righteousness and then that righteousness becomes our own personally, inherently. If that is true, what that means is it will no longer be a perfect righteousness because I will mess it up. <laughs> we are always clothed in the imputed righteousness of Christ. Always. It never becomes ours. It is always his. And that's why we have this right standing. So that's why Paul says, and I'm found in him not having a righteousness of my own, never having a righteousness of my own with regard to justification that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now Luther, the reformer's life changed dramatically when he was able to really study Romans chapter 1 and verse 17. And this is how Luther describes it. Here this, this scholar comes to Romans 1.17 and really dives into it. And he says this, Night and day I pondered until I saw the connection between the justice of God and the statement that the just shall live by his faith. Then I grasped that the justice of God is that righteousness by which through grace and sheer mercy God justifies us through faith. Therefore I felt myself to be reborn and to have a and to have gone through open doors to paradise. And the reason Luther felt reborn, remember Luther had been trying to earn justification by personally being righteous and he failed miserably. The harder he tried, the more condemned he felt. Have you experienced that? Have you? I have. But what Luther discovered was that God justifies, justifies us not because we are inherently righteous, that we are personally righteous, but through the gift of faith, he imputes a righteousness that is not our own, but a perfect righteousness. Luther felt free because he was able to understand, not in his head primarily, but in his head and his heart, that his justification was grounded not in his ability to be right, but in Christ's work of being right, 
that was granted to him through the instrument of faith. And think of it like this. <laughs> Even the very instrument of faith is not our doing. It's a gift from God. In other words, the whole thing comes down to this. At every point, it is God who justifies. It's even God who gives us the instrument through which he justifies. It's Christ who is the justifier and the just whose imputed righteousness is imputed to us. I mean, the whole thing is about what God does and what God grants to us by, by his free grace. He declares us righteous and justified on the merits of Jesus Christ. Now, the, the necessity of an imputed righteousness is our final point uh, today. And, and having just spoken about faith being the instrument, and that means it's not work, our work doesn't factor in to God justifying us. Here really is the reason why Paul says this in Romans chapter 4 and verse 5 it really proves the absolute necessity of an imputed righteousness being the grounds of our justification Paul says and to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly his faith is counted as righteous did you get that in him who justifies the ungodly God doesn't justify perfect people. He doesn't justify people who have a fairly decent level of personal righteousness. He justifies the ungodly. In other words, God declares righteous those who are inherently unrighteous, ungodly. Think of it like this. And don't take this too far, but... You know, my simple mind trying to grasp the implications of justification, this is what I've come up with. So I'm standing before God today in Christ Jesus with this, this perfect, pure vestment garment covering me, the perfect righteousness of Christ. But yet, even though Christ has, has taken my, my sin but yet, I'm still struggling with sin. So, so underneath this, this perfect garment is my undershirt that has some stains on it and it's kind of stinky and, and, and not all that, that pretty. But I'm covered with this pure garment. In other words, God justifies the ungodly God declares righteous those who are inherently unrighteous and, by the way, will remain inherently unrighteous, though they're growing in righteousness. But yet, they have a right standing before God because of this pure garment, the righteousness of Christ that covers us now and forevermore. In other words, God never treats us in Christ according to our record. He treats us according to Christ's perfect record. God provides a just and legal basis upon which to declare the inherently unrighteous righteous. That is the doctrine of justification. And this leads to a reformational slogan 
simultaneously justified and sinful. God does not demand that you and me be inherently righteous. If that was the man, no one would be justified. But thank God that today in heaven, he views us as perfectly righteous, though we're inherently not so because of the imputed righteousness of Christ. And so what does justification by the imputed righteousness of Christ really mean today? Justification by an imputed uh, righteousness must be viewed in light of both the doctrines of adoption and sanctification. In justification, God deals with our legal status before him. We are declared just. In adoption, God deals with our family situation. We are adopted as sons and daughters of the living God. In sanctification, God works, and by the way, we cooperate by repenting of sin, by believing in Jesus, by obedience. But it's still a work of God where we cooperate, where progressively he makes us more and more like Christ and puts to death sin in us more and more. And so as we're looking at justification, we must understand it and consider it in light of both the doctrines of adoption and of sanctification. So we must view justification by an imputed righteousness in light of our adoption. J.I. Packer that I, I referenced earlier believes that justification is the fundamental reality of the gospel, the fundamental blessing. But he says that adoption is higher. This is what Packer says. To be right with God the judge is a great thing. But to be beloved and cared for by God the Father is greater. So the one who is legally right, justified, is also the one who has an intimate relationship with the justifier, who is the judge, but is viewed more in terms of our Father, Abba Father. And think of it like this. I mean, praise God for justification. We get in the kingdom. And that's great. I just want to make it. Who cares where I am in line before the throne? I just want to be, kind of be in heaven, even if I'm at the back of the line, which I probably will be. But there's more. We not only get into heaven. All right, so I was talking with one of our young fathers who said that his young kid uh, ran in in the morning and just jumped on his bed and was right in his face coughing. <laughs> you know, he's like, I want to get sick. But, but, but think of it in terms of like a young child in the morning running in uh, to, to daddy's room and hopping in bed and cuddling with, with dad, that intimate relationship of father-son, father-daughter, and that is why God justifies us in some respect. We are justified to be adopted. Not just that our legal status is dealt with, our family situation is profoundly improved. And we now 
address the judge as father. We have full access even into the most intimate place, the bedroom, like a young child running in and hopping in daddy's bed to cuddle with him. Do you think of God that way? You should. That's the implication of, of the imputed righteousness of Christ. Not just the legal stuff, but the intimate relationship. And so that's one way that justification impacts our lives today. The second way and the last way, not for today's sermon, there are many ways justification impacts, but the second one I'll mention today has to do with sanctification. We must view justification by an imputed righteousness in light of sanctification. And so Christians are progressively sanctified, never, never complete in this life. And so there are times when, you know, we really feel like we, we, we've got this Christian life thing down. I am, I, I'm really doing good. I'm obeying, I'm praying, I'm reading my Bible, I'm seeking Jesus, I'm talking about Jesus, I'm giving at church, I'm involved in this ministry and that ministry, whoo, God, yay, you're blessed, you're blessed to have me on your team, right? I mean, that retreat, mountaintop experience, yeah, I'm, I'm fired up, let's go. Well, here's the, here's the thing about justification. It, it humbles us when we're prideful in the Christian life. Because when we are doing our best and when we are really progressing, you know that song we sang about God being our pilot? Sometimes we think, no, we're the pilot. He's just simply the co-pilot there to kind of help us in case we get into trouble. Wrong, God's always the pilot. But we can think in terms of, hey, I've got the Christian life thing. I am justifying Myself. It's one of the most dangerous places to be in the Christian life. That spiritual pride rooted in our sense that we can do the Christian life, that we really don't need uh, Jesus. And so justification says this, on your best day in sanctification, you're no more justified than you already are in the courtroom of heaven. Because you have the full garment of Christ's righteousness upon you. And for most of us, most of the time, we don't have a whole lot of reason to be prideful about sanctification, but we do have a whole lot of reason to be in despair over it. And just think of all the failures that we experience, and just think of how we can be so discouraged and in despair over our lack of progressing in the Christian life. I said I was going to read the Bible in a year. The third day, I'm five weeks behind. How that happens, I'll never know. You know, we could be, we could feel so much a failure before God, even thinking, why would he ever have anything to do with me? He should just cast me in the pit of hell now, and let's just get it over with. Do you ever feel like that? I tell you, sometimes I do. And justification says this. In light of sanctification, and in particularly in light of our despair, dear, dear wounded sojourner, <laughs> you today in heaven, when God looks at you, he sees you perfectly right. You're no less justified at the very trough 
of your failure and despair. And so justification in terms of sanctification not only deals with our spiritual pride, it deals with our spiritual despair, and it gives us confidence to keep moving towards uh, Jesus. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are my glorious dress. Midst flaming worlds in these arrayed, with joy shall I lift up my head. And I think Zinzendorf in the hymn that we'll sing in just a few moments really helps us see how justification in light of adoption and sanctification encourages us today that because of what Christ has done in taking our sin and imputing his righteousness to us, it affects everything, right? And today, as a child of God, today, as in our pride and in our despair, we are able to lift up our head before God with joy because we are accepted, pardoned, a full pardon with respect to our sin and perfectly justified because of the imputed righteousness of Christ. If you would take your hymnal and turn to hymn number 520, we will sing this really as a, as, as a prayer as we conclude our service today. Let us stand. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness. <laughs> 